Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 71. Are you still sprinkling print statements throughout your code while writing it? Print statements are often clunky and offer only a limited view of the state of your code. Have you thought there must be a better way? This week on the show, we have Nina Zakarenko to discuss her PyCon talk titled Goodbye Print, Hello Debugger. We talk about how to get started debugging your code by adding a single keyword. Nina discusses the differences between debugging on the command line versus using the tools included with an integrated development environment. She also shares tricks and best practices. If you haven't seen Nina's conference talk, it's a great starting point. We also talk about working through the last 18 months and how to recharge your creative batteries. We briefly discussed two other presentations Nina gave about CircuitPython and getting started with electronics and Python. This episode is brought to you by Sentry, helping developers see issues that matter, solve those issues in minutes, and learn insights to keep their applications running at peak performance. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Nina, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, it was so fun talking to you to your whole group of people from PyCascades, and it was really fun hanging out at the conference. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. We got a lot of really good feedback from folks who said that it was their favorite online event of the year. So that was that was a high compliment. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I heard a lot of people are excited about it being virtual in the sense that they, that they could attend it. Yes. And next year, it's going to be virtual again. We have two new co-chairs. We have Madison and then Britt Gresham, who were on the on the uh, they were chairs last year. Britt organized the volunteers. Madison was our diversity chair, so they are taking the helm. And I believe their idea is to have the conference be remote, but then have a handful of viewing parties across the Pacific Northwest where folks can get together and watch in person. That's a super interesting wrinkle. <laughs> I think that would be fun. I think so too. Okay, cool. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that you're you're doing with the Python Software Foundation. Yes. What's new there? So I am a pretty newly elected board member. I was elected last year. And I'm not sure if you know, we just had elections this year and we'll be welcoming the new board this week. So All right. yeah, it's super exciting. It's been it's been wonderful and challenging and I've learned a lot. I think next year is definitely going to be pretty pretty interesting because I'm not sure if you've heard, but Eva, the executive director, is stepping down yeah. in December. Yeah, we haven't talked about it on the show, but yeah, that was a recent announcement. And so some some changes there. Yeah, she is just wonderful. She has done so much for the Python community over the past 10 years. She's grown the PSF to what it is today. She's built up an amazing staff. And I'm I'm, I'm a little sad. I know that it's time for her to to move on. Ten years is a long time to be doing anything. Yeah, it is. But it's going to be really hard to fill her shoes. Yeah, I recently had um, Marlene Montgomery on. Yes, and I had Dustin Ingram on recently also. Yes, and so we were talking PSF stuff there. So it seems to be a, a common theme <laughs> within the guests <laughs> recently, which is great. Yeah, Dustin was elected in my cohort last year as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I mean just. Overall, it's just such a kind, compassionate group of folks. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little earlier, but my mom passed away from COVID late last year, and folks from the PSF banded together and they sent me flowers and a card, and it was just, oh wow, it was really kind and really sweet when I really needed it most. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's been really rough this year. Yeah, yeah, it, it has been. Uh, yeah. One of the primary things we wanted to talk about this week, or I wanted to have you come on and talk about, is uh, debugging. And you did a talk in at PyCon 2020, but you've shared that talk in a couple other places. 
but then I thought we could talk about a couple other additional subjects depending on on time here. Maybe your your passion for Circuit Python, like me, <laughs> and then uh, something that kind of fits into something we were discussing there briefly is just like uh, of burnout and what's happening with a, a lot of individuals and trying to work through that over the last uh, I don't know eighteen months. <laughs> yes, yes, those all sound like excellent topics. I think burnout especially probably hits home for a lot of people right now. I recently did a work training where there was just an anonymous survey of, uh, on a scale of one to 10, how stressed out are you feeling right now? And I thought, you know, I would see numbers from all across the board, but it was really mostly a majority eight, nine, 10. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel it. (laughs) I feel it myself. Uh, We were talking a little bit beforehand and it's, you know, it's been challenging to to start a totally new creative project in in a podcast um, at March 2020, <laughs> and and build from there. You know, not only finding guests, but finding just the creative energy, and and I feel that across the board for a lot of the people at Real Python. Also, like you know, taking time, like maybe they have a full time job, and you know, they're just their tanks are empty as far as like creativity, as far as like adding additional stuff, and and, and so I'm trying in all the ways that I can to try to provide guidance and, and, you know, and leeway and, you know, and support in all the ways I can sort of managing, I'm primarily manage the the video courses and and trying to keep all everybody working there. And it's been rough. So I'm, I'm guessing you're seeing that in a lot of other areas too. Yeah. I think the hardest thing has just been a lack of ways to recharge my batteries. Yeah. I, I mean, time off is one of them. But, but that didn't help <laughs> during mm-hmm. lockdown. No. <laughs> I think the other thing that was interesting that people posted is like, oh, yeah, you work remote now and it should be great. And it's like, no, it's not like remote was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Let me tell you a little secret. I've been full time remote for seven years now. And the past two years are nothing like what remote work actually is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are differences <laughs> if we want to enumerate a few? <laughs> Well, for one, you know, it used to be easy to go out to lunch, work from a cafe, you know, meet a friend for coffee and just have some level of social interaction. And then when you were done with work, you could go outside and do things and make plans. And instead, during lockdown, it turned into this thing where you're just trapped in the house with everybody that you live with, everybody's eating up the bandwidth. And it's more like living in your office. Yeah. Versus working from home. I sleep in the little corner in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I have this image in my head. Um, the first couple of times where I would go, I don't know, to a Starbucks or whatever, just and picking up coffee like inside and mm-hmm. them having like all the tables like taped off and like this weird <laughs> kind of like we're remodeling kind of scenario, but they weren't remodeling, you know? Right. <laughs> it was just uh so weird, you know, and those were like the places people would go and hang out and look through their code or have something else to inspire them, you know, being around people. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah Remember kind of in person meetups? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just did a remote one with a, a local uh, group, the Pie Springs, and it was fun. It was fun to connect with them again. But I had asked them about the workspace they would mm-hmm. use which is a uh, co-working space and i was concerned like oh is this is it still you know happening and they they struggled through it, they're still there but i'm imagining a lot of co-working spots have uh, it, i would guess the number would have gotten smaller <laughs> yeah yeah i imagine so it might be hard to find space when all of this is over yeah i hope it all you know kind of mellows out i'm thinking about you know ways that i'm hoping to recharge I, I play video games. <laughs> the trick is finding ones that I can complete. Yeah. I know that sounds kind of crazy. I I've I, I started one game where it never ends. <laughs> oh, oh, no. It feels like it's one of these Ubisoft games where uh, I think it's called Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah. And they just keep throwing more things at me. And I'm like, okay, wait, this is like 50 hours or so. And, and you just introduced like all these new things I need to do, like major goals. So... <laughs> I, I broke away and I played a, a game called um, Firewatch, which you can play in an afternoon. It's really kind of nice and has a a good narrative and and it's a it, you know doesn't feel like you know you're not getting your investment you know yeah. you can roll credits on a game. And then the other one I played was uh, 
Journey, which was um, kind of fun and very, very ambient, very relaxing kind of game. It was fun. Yeah. Oh, one of the ways I, I recharge my batteries is spending time with friends. And I moved uh, pretty recently to a city where more of my friends live and I have more access to that. And that's been... Oh, that's cool. I mean, the move was exhausting, so I depleted my batteries <laughs> into right. the negative. Right. But since then, uh, yeah, that has been really good for me. So you've done a few um, backyard kind of things. Yeah. And at this point, I, I'm very, very lucky, especially in terms of the global stage, to be vaccinated. And most of my friends are as well. And so it does feel pretty safe for us to get together. Yeah. I think the other the other way I recharge is um with my pets. Oh. I have a border collie. That's my youngest dog and I do agility with her. Oh, wonderful. So we go into a class and and you know run around and it's like an obstacle course for dogs if you haven't ever seen it before, but it, it, and border collies I had you know a previous dog who we had taught to do it, but she's just food motivated and eventually she would just sort of revolt and stand on top of the A-frame and just stare. <laughs> go wow that's a great view up here <laughs> so I, I wanted to find a dog that like eager to please was in their vocabulary yeah <laughs> so i got a border collie and it's been um it's been fun um trying to figure out that and giving her you know commands and teaching her how to do stuff and it's a, it's a i don't know it's been a mutually beneficial thing for both of us you know gets her yeah. out and gets me out so I, i'm getting a puppy in the next few months and i'm very excited yeah, that sounds, uh, it, it's a, you know, it's a double-edged sword, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but it can be a battery recharger. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It would, it would be my third pup. And so I'm, I'm ready. And I used to okay. be in this role where I was traveling a lot for work and that's not really coming back in full force anytime soon. And so now's the perfect time. You could get, you could get in puppy mode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds great. <laughs> right. Ready for all the puppy breath and all the puppy kisses. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing. <laughs> well, do you want to dive into uh, debugging a bit then? Yeah, let's talk about it. Your, your talk was labeled Goodbye Print, Hello Debugger. Yes. It's kind of wild like how, you know, in almost all programming languages, how print has been this thing, <laughs> you know, to, to basically confirm where you are at in a certain state of your code as you go along, but maybe you can talk to like, you know, maybe why that's uh, clunky and, and um, why you might want to think about a better option. Yeah. Well, I mean, print is easy. It's one of the first things that you learn. And when you're writing pretty basic programs, it is easy to just throw a few print statements in there and you can check out your state and you're like, okay, I'm good to go. But then as you start working on more advanced code bases or you start working on code as a team, it's not just one variable that might be causing the issue. And I, I don't know why there's such a resistance to debuggers. I don't know if it's just Python developers or engineers in general. But the first time I gave this talk, I believe it was in, in Australia, PyCon Australia, I did a little show of hands in the beginning and I was like, okay, how many people use print to debug? And, you know, almost everyone raised their hands and I was kind of expecting that, you know, I still throw print statements in there sometimes. And I was like, great, who uses debuggers? And I expected maybe 50% of the room to raise their hands and it was more like 10% or 20%. Yeah. So really not something that folks use quite a bit, but... Uh, there are a lot of advantages. One, the biggest one is that you can examine really complex state and you can examine it at the point of execution where that state is all built up. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think that's one of the things in your your talk that I thought was a, a really great initial demonstration. You you created a, a project that's a, a kind of a, you know, simple flask project that yeah. You know, I was talking to GitHub and and looking for stars of repositories based on language. And then you have like a, a front end where you're able to turn on and off stuff and able to sort of trigger it. And then it's it's a good example because you, you get a bunch of stuff back <laughs> that you could kind of look at. Right. When you talk about 
examining state? What are the types of things that you can examine? You can examine anything. You can examine variables that were passed in. You can examine data structures and actually look inside of them. You can truncate them. You can pull things out. Uh, One of the best things about debuggers is I can, you know, from working with an API, I can examine JSON uh, basically on the command line because that's always a huge annoyance of mine, these big nested data structures and, and how to work with them. And a lot of times you can just, you, you figured something out in the debugger, you can now then just copy and paste that code into your program. You don't have to figure out how to do it all over again. The, the issue with print too is that you have to, if you're, if you're going to ship the feature, you got to find all the print statements and remove them. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I have had issues where I was trying to debug something. I was using a print statement and the bug was a bug that I introduced while printing something out. I was printing the wrong thing or Uh, misinterpreting it. Has that ever happened to you? Yes, in the sense that I guess kind of in a sideways way that if if you've structured your print statement incorrectly, that it it becomes the bug. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and then the, what you're saying there of, um, well, you mentioned one of the things that I thought was kind of cool, like, you know, what can you print? Well, you can really mostly print how things are represented, you know, like right. from, from the object state. Whereas in this other way of, of debugging, of, of using a tool like PDB is that you can kind of you know, play with it and, and have that yes. interaction with it. But, but it also lets you see, you know, like kind of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like the different ways that it kind of comes across. It's very, very different than just this pure, simple representation that's been set up in advance. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then it's easy to do something like run dir on your variable and be like, okay, well, I picked the wrong method to call what other methods are available. Yeah. I think that's so cool. And so, did you have an example in particular that 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 hit you when you had that print statement problem? Mostly just like nested, you know, super nested data structures. If it's just a string or a number, then whatever. But, you know, I thought I was looking at one thing and it was something completely different. And, you know, definitely spent, spent time scratching my head being like, well, you know, this doesn't match. And really it was just the messed up print statement. Yeah, and then printing is, you know, printing something like JSON can be pretty (laughs) ugly. (laughs) Yes, even with pretty print. Yeah, it can be so much to parse. (laughs) So the ability to just narrow things down depending on what you're looking at. So maybe we could talk about like like suggestions, like if someone was just going to start, okay, all right, they're suggesting I I do debugging. (laughs) Yes. Would you suggest to start sort of small in with like a command line kind of thing? Do you think that's a good starting point? It depends on where you're comfortable. If you are comfortable on the command line, then the easiest way to get into a debugger, especially in Python 3.7, is 3.7 plus, is to just throw the breakpoint method in there and run your program. And all of a sudden you have a debugger. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you don't, previously you had to have an import statement, correct? Uh, yeah, and it was kind of clunky. There was a semicolon in between. It looked weird. Not Pythonic uh, pe- looking, huh? <laughs> Not quite Pythonic. Yeah. So the breakpoint method is just, it's really easy. You don't have to remember the import and you just end up in a console right away. Where where should somebody drop that word breakpoint with the parentheses? Where, where should they put it? What would be a good spot? Really anywhere that they're trying to figure out, you know, a bug or what's happening in their code and just trying to keep it as close to the issue as possible so that you don't have to continuously step over code that you're not necessarily interested in. Another great use of the debugger is to, let's say you want to see how a method operates on a particular set of data you can just throw a breakpoint in at the top of that method and watch it go and be like, okay, I see this modification is happening here and this didn't work quite the way that I expected it to and this data doesn't look like I thought it did. Um, so it's also a good tool to use to just understand code better with live data. So in that case, if you're putting the breakpoint at the top of that, then you would be 
using the feature of being able to step forward yes, and, and kind of watch the state kind of change as you go. Yes, um, exactly. Okay. And then if you're not comfortable on the command line, uh, every IDE supports debugging as well. And it's more visual and uh, maybe a little bit easier to navigate. For example, I use VS Code. And one of the features I really like in the VS Code debugger is that when you have a breakpoint that's been hit and it's active, you can actually mouse over variables and it will show you the value. Yeah. And those are variables like within the body of your you know, Python code. Yes. It's not necessarily stuff that's in some side you know, area or whatever. I thought that was really a cool demonstration that you, you gave there. You may see that in a, an IDE where it, it can help you sort of, as you go over a particular function definition and it's sort of expanding the definition for you. Yeah. But in this case, when it's in debugging mode, it's able to kind of fill in the values and it, that's really slick. Yeah. And, I, you know, I might be a little bit biased, but I think my talk is pretty good. And I think, <laughs> it, re- <laughs> yeah. I think it does really, you know, give a good overview of the different types of debugging, why you might want to do it. I made a little cheat sheet that you can download with the debugger statements. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, and- you've been honing it for a while, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> Have people provided good feedback that you've incorporated? Less feedback that I've incorporated, more little tweaks here and there. But okay, when, you know, I do kind of miss that conference feedback from giving a talk live, but folks come out of this talk shook. They just come out <laughs> completely shook. <laughs> the first time I gave it, somebody like stumbled out of the room and they're like, oh my God, this is going to save me dozens of hours a week. I yeah. can't believe I didn't know about this. I can't believe it's so easy. You know, a lot of folks just end up really confused by the idea. They're not sure what to do, or they had a bad experience once where they ended up in a debugger console and they're like, I don't know how to quit. I don't know what's happening. And so I think people think that it's this advanced concept. They don't know how to use it. They don't know where to start. And so the talk's just a really great entryway into what you can do with debugging. And then there's a lot more that you can go and do from there. There are a lot of really advanced packages, there's profiling, there's a lot of paths that you can take once you get the fundamentals down. This episode is brought to you by Sentry, helping developers see issues that matter, solve those issues in minutes, and learn insights to keep their applications running at peak performance. What can you expect from Sentry? You get actionable insights and full context so you can fix your app's errors and optimize its performance. You get performance monitoring. Engineering managers and developers now have a single tool to trace Python performance issues back to poor performing API calls, as well as surface all related code errors. And with Sentry's error monitoring, you can understand the important events that led to each Python exception, be it SQL queries, debug logs, network requests, or past errors. Spend less time fixing bugs and more time building features. You can learn more at sentry.io slash 4for slash Python, or you can click the link in the show notes. Yeah, I, I feel like I've been touching on the idea of, of some of these more advanced areas in our conversations that David and I have had about certain articles where we've talked about profilers and memory profilers. We've talked about some stuff that Edomar Turner Trowing's working on with his fill program. And but to kind of go backwards into what you were saying there and this idea of people kind of getting shook by the concept of debugging, do you think that is kind of the double-edged sword of Python is a great language to start learning programming, mm-hmm. a, a beginner's sort of language in some ways? or it's very, very approachable for people to move over, is that like trip them up where they, it, you know, debugging wasn't shown. Like I, I, I feel like it's rare that I see people showing it and using it. I, I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And, I, and I'm, I'm not sure why it's so 
unused amongst Pythonistas. And I really would be interested to learn if uh, people who code primarily in other languages spend more time in the debugger. But once I figured out that the debugger was there and it was available, and then I got a little fancy, you know, I set up my debugger to use IPython and do all the syntax highlighting. I mean, I I live in the debugger. You know, a lot of times I'm I'm writing tests and I'll throw breakpoints all over the place to be like, well, you know, what what is the expected output? What happens when I go down this code path? Or, you know, my test is failing. Let me very quickly figure out why. And the more I started talking to people about the tools that I was using and realizing that they weren't using the same ones, I was like, I need to, I need to shout this from the rooftops. <laughs> when I've dabbled in JavaScript in uh, some of these other other areas in some ways you know JavaScript is an interactive environment in some cases mm-hmm. um, and I feel like in the training of it it's really really common that people say okay in your browser you're gonna open up this <laughs> you know this uh, this panel and the developer tools and then we can show you this stuff and boom they're you know it's not exactly the same kind of debugger. It's kind of yeah. somewhat on a different side of what you're doing, but it, it has a lot of that same kind of interactivity. Right. And I feel like that is shown in almost all, I don't know, one-on-one JavaScript kind of things. And I, and I wonder about that in Python. Did you learn debugging in another language first? I've done some debugging in C++, but I never okay. found it as useful as Python. Yeah. I think it's like a, a it's a, this crazy hidden gem in some cases, you know, to 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 know that it's just like, especially with three seven making it as accessible as just typing breakpoint, yeah, and just like start start using it and and kind of seeing what's happening with it. To kind of go to your VS Code stuff, I, I haven't played with it in there a ton. I, I definitely was inspired by by what I was I was seeing. Some of the things I really liked inside there that it was allowing you to debug were things like a box that just showed variables mm-hmm. and it included the scope, which I thought was really cool. So you could kind of see at what level <laughs> these things were sort of defined at and, and kind of can kind of track what's happening there. Yes. And then you used a really neat trick. Um, this a trick that's in there called watch. And How does that work? Yeah, you can just, um, and, and there is watch on the command line debugger as well, but you can just say... Okay, cool. It's a pretty common technique. Yeah, you can just say, I want to keep an eye on these variables because they might change as the program runs. And so in VS Code, it's a lot easier to set up a watch because it's just there in a pretty little graphical box. Something else leaning from that is that you... When you're debugging, you can change the value of variables on the fly as well and be like, well, you know, if I set the value to this, how will this change the execution of my program? Yeah. It's a way to sort of uh, try things out in this sort of live environment. I, I think I mentioned this to somebody else recently. You know, I'm a musician and there's a music program that I've always loved called Logic. And the thing I liked about it is I didn't have to hit stop mm-hmm. to do editing. Ooh. The music could be playing and I could drag notes around or I could adjust positions of things. I could I could really do a large amount of editing in, in, in a program like Pro Tools outside of like the mixing console that was allowed to be touched. Anything in the editing screen, it was like, nope, <laughs> this is locked. It's like in a state of like frozen kind of thing. And I mean, there are other programs that do that now, but at the time it, it felt kind of unique. And I feel like what you're talking about is that that ability to kind of play with your code. You're not rewriting your code. You're sort of mm-hmm. just experimenting. Right. Is really powerful. And then on top of that, you mentioned this in passing earlier that those experiments, you could then, they're in your terminal if you're working in the terminal. Yes. Or in other places. And you can just copy and put that into the file, the script or the you know Python program. Yeah, I like to think of this flow as like poke it with a stick programming. <laughs> Hopefully you don't find a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. But okay. it's just like, oh, let's poke this code over here. What does this do? Let's poke that over there. What does that do? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you also showed another really interesting trick that 
is something that I don't know if it would be possible in the CLI version of, of doing the debugging in the command line was if you're working in something like Django or Flask, there are these really common files that people create, um, these template files that are sort of HTML. They're yeah. like this interesting hybrid where they have these placeholders for the sort of the insertion of the Python code goes mm-hmm. here, you know, like it's connected this way. And so it's it's sort of live in, in in a certain way. And then you were showing how you could, inside of, you know, the debugger, work with those breakpoints inside of the HTML of this template. And I thought that was super cool. Yes, because those templates just tend to be a source of bugs for me. Yeah. Because no matter how much you try to keep it view logic only, there's always stuff that needs to happen on the front end in these templates and you're messing with the data and sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly what's coming back from the server side. I don't know if you can do that on the command line. I assume that you can, but I don't know how. In VS Code, you can just click on the line in the template to set a breakpoint and it's kind of as easy as that. Yeah, so it's using the the gutter um, yes. kind of area of of the the editor versus typing the word breakpoint right in, inside of it, um, which is giving that kind of interactivity. And I haven't used. I'm guessing you know PyCharm is like this whole suite of tools, so I'm sure there's all that stuff inside there too. I just had the experience mostly with VS Code of late. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned IPDB as so PDB. Maybe should we should talk about what that is and um, how it's sort of built in. Yes. Yeah. So what is PDB? So PDB is just baked in with Python. It's an included package, and if you type breakpoint the method, that's what's going to come up. And PDB is very basic. There's no syntax highlighting. It's just kind of very, very, very plain, kind of in the same way as the uh, very basic, unconfigured Python REPL. Are you familiar with IPython? Have you ever used that? Yeah, um, I have. I've been messing around with um, a few of these alternative REPLs, mm-hmm. BPython, PTPython, yes. and then I'm drawn to IPython in some ways. I know it's part of the sort of the Jupyter family is what I always want to call it. <laughs> I don't know if the origin goes the other way or not. So IPython is is kind of a neat alternative REPL in some ways. And, and this this is something attached to that in a way. Yeah. So so a little bit about IPython. I don't know where I started using it. I did use P- BPython for a while as well, but IPython is definitely the more mature, advanced project, but it provides lots of really neat stuff in your interactive Python REPL, like uh, there's syntax highlighting, there's uh, code completion. One of my favorite things is these, they, they call them magic commands. They start with a percent. Um, and so you can kind of the one that I tend to use the most is percent, uh, I think it's paste. And so if you have a chunk of code that you want to paste into your REPL, generally, you know, the REPL is kind of one line per piece of code and you press enter and it kind of takes you to that next interactive line and you can't really paste in formatted code. And so with IPython, you can enter this magic command. You can paste in your code or a function or whatever and then type three dashes to exit and then that's just available in your environment which is super super helpful nice i know of one of our other authors gararna he he mentioned ipython very early on like i think it was episode one and he was telling me about ways that he was using it to kind of be able to you know say you have a you know a standalone python file where it's sort of a package you've gone and you've defined a bunch of things inside of it and there were ways to import it into the ipython REPL sort of interactively and and Mm -hmm. be able to play with it and i thought that was really powerful too yeah and so ipdb is a ipython version of the the pdb shell so instead of being very plain all of a sudden there's syntax highlighting there's code completion even for things like keys in a dictionary so you can do square bracket, 
double quote and then start typing a few letters and then tab and it'll show you what keys in that dictionary match the letters that you typed in. Yeah, that's so powerful. <laughs> yes. For spelling challenge people too. <laughs> yes, exactly right. And so I, I personally think it's a lot better and I understand why something like this isn't in the standard library. You know, it'd be too difficult to maintain. It might not work well on all systems. There's a lot of fancy stuff in there and colorization and, and whatever, but it is available. And if you are using Python 3.7 and up, you can set which, which debugger you want to use when you call breakpoint just via an environment variable. So it's pretty easy to, to swap that in once you have it installed. That's super nice. Yeah. And that's something you show in the talk, which is great. Yes. And I was just going to say, one of the most annoying things about uh, being on the debugger console is you can only do one line at a time. In my talk, I include a little snippet for a .pdbrc file, which is a configuration file that lets you add a command called uh, interact i that will let you drop into an interactive IPython terminal from the hmm. debugger. Okay. How does that change things? Um, so you can type in full methods. You can get really fancy. There is a version of Interact, I believe, in the standard PDB debugger as well, but you don't get any of that nice fancy stuff, and so it's a little bit harder to use. Oh, okay. One of the other advantages you pointed out in your talk was the idea of Yes, if you're working on the command line and it's it's a an individual file that will probably work pretty well, but if you're working on say a project or you know something like a, a Django project or a Flask project where there are lots of <laughs> files, it's going to allow you to sort of manage that a lot easier. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a lot easier for me to kind of visually have a few files open and, and say, okay, well, you know, where do I have my breakpoints? And I can navigate to the files that I need to navigate to pretty quickly. Yeah. One of the other reasons I, I think that debugging might not be as popular in certain areas of, of the Python world is the popularity of Jupyter and, and yes. Jupyter Notebooks in the sense that a Jupyter Notebook is sort of interactive. Yes. You know, that you're able to to type things and kind of experiments with stuff. I mean, it is kind of problematic in that sense too, because you are unlike this sort of separate state of being in debugging mode. You, you are like dealing with the current state of your <laughs> of your notebook and yeah. it's held that way. So if you run cells out of order or do other kinds of things, you can have really weird state that kind of you end up in yeah trial by fire yeah right and so you mentioned this uh, some some enhancements to vs code that that it might be able to work with jupyter notebooks but also debug them now yes there you are able to debug jupyter notebooks in vs code i'm not sure how popular that feature is but there are there are more exciting changes happening around Jupyter Notebooks in VS Code very soon, and I don't think I can talk about them <laughs> just yet. <laughs> well, we're, we're a few weeks early. Okay. Yeah, there's like a velocity there as far as VS Code goes where, like, you know, last year um, I had Savannah on to talk mm -hmm. about PyLance, and that has just, you know, ballooned and, and gotten to this really great kind of state of project and type checking and all that sort of stuff is kind of enhanced as we've gone along. And then I know that they were, that you could open them and work with Jupyter notebooks inside of VS code, but that I'm kind of excited to see what, what comes down the, you know, something that could give you a few more controls over what you're doing, I think is always helpful. Yeah. I feel like sometimes it, I don't know. I feel uh, when I, I always kind of bounce in and out of data science projects mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's like okay i'm back in jupiter what can i do again <laughs> and I, so i feel like I, I am stripped back as far as some of the controls and so i'm excited to see what might come from that yeah i think if you are a jupiter notebooks user and a vs code user that you will be pretty pleased with the announcement when it comes okay cool all right. Well, that's a good tease. <laughs> <laughs> i can't i can't say more i'd get in trouble <laughs> that's fine <laughs> 
So I have a couple kind of meta questions about debugging. Yeah. What are common mistakes people make with debugging? Yeah. One is that they leave breakpoints in production code. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Breakpoints are, you know, a little bit easier to clean up and manage. And then uh, if you're using a visual debugger like VS Code, there's nothing to clean up because there's just a visual representation of where you put that breakpoint. But I, I mentioned this briefly in my talk. There's a project called Git Precommit Hooks. It's actually written in Python. And that will, you can check for a bunch of conditions. You can check if your linting passes, if your tests run, and you know if something's off about your project, these uh, pre-commit hooks won't let you push your changes to GitHub. Okay. It won't, it won't let you commit them at all. So kind of cuts, cuts it off early. And so you can add a git pre-commit hook to look for breakpoints or even print statements and catch those. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. You can do that to catch those early before they end up in your committed code and make sure that you don't, you know, freeze up your web app in production. Thankfully, with Python 3.7, there is a environment variable that you can set that says, you know, skip all breakpoints. Okay. That might be another way around it. Yes. So this concept of pre-committing is in, in sort of setting that up. Is it something that is installed per Git repo, or is it something that would be a, across your machine that when you type, um, is it like kind of a, an attachment to the Git program that's installed on, you know, say your operating system yeah. versus, say, the the local repo? You know, I don't know if you can have global pre-commit hooks. You might be able to set those up, but generally they're per project because okay. you might have a set for Python and a set for JavaScript. And those pre-commit hooks are just uh, a feature of Git. They actually end up living in a directory in the .git folder, and you mm-hmm. can go and take a look at them. Uh, what this Git pre-commit project does is provides a bunch of standard pre-commit hooks so that you don't have to write your own. Okay. For example, in the pre-commit, get pre-commit hook for checking for debugger statements, it looks for breakpoint, it looks for PDB set trace, uh, it looks for some other common debugger breakpoints. And so you don't have to think about maintaining that on your own. You can just snag it from the library. And it also makes uh, managing those pre-commit hooks a lot easier because once you set up multiple pre-commit hooks, if you're doing it yourself and managing yourself, it gets a little bit messy and tedious. So it's a great project. That sounds really cool. Like it, uh, unlike a, a git ignore file, which is sort of looking at the directory structure and individual files, this is going inside the individual files and, and looking for um, these potential, you know, like you said, statements like that are in you know, in the text of the right. of the code. And then um, there are other things that you can have it check off, like uh, right. like flags for like, you know, did you said, did, was it linted and, and yes. so forth? Like if you have your particular f- um, flavor of things that you want to make sure are run before you, you yeah. Uh, commit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can set the pre-commit hook to execute whatever and then check whatever conditions you want. So if your pre-commit hook runs a linter or maybe checks for unused imports, it will then go ahead and, you know, let you know what you're, what you're missing. Yeah, another nice uh, uh, <laughs> care and grooming kind of tool that people yeah. probably are not as aware of, which is really powerful. Cool, thanks. Yeah. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. It dives further into the topic we discussed this week, and it's titled Python Debugging with PDB. The course is based on a real Python article by Nathan Jennings, and in the course, Austin Sipalia shows you how to perform the most common debugging tasks using PDB, including setting breakpoints, stepping through code, viewing stack traces, creating watch lists, and much more. I think it's a worthy investment of your time to learn how to use this powerful troubleshooting tool and discover how it can not only improve your code, but also speed up your efficiency. RealPython video courses are broken into easily consumable sections, and where needed, include code examples for the techniques shown. All lessons have a transcript, including closed captions. 
check out the video course. You can find the link in the show notes, or you can find it using the newly enhanced search tool on realpython.com. I thought it was interesting that you specify in your talk that this is my way and that there is not one right way. Why did you feel like necessary to, to, to state that, <laughs> to specify that? <laughs> I've come across a lot of opinionated people, yeah. I think is the nicest way that I can say that. Yeah. Who, you know, like walking out of a talk like this and saying, oh, you're wrong. You know, this way is better. Or, you know, I set up all my breakpoints in the command line and, you know, IDs suck or whatever it is. (laughs) Sure. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, in case this was a, a hot button topic for somebody, that was just kind of my disclaimer of like, there are a million different ways of doing this. Oh, yeah. This is what I do. (laughs) We've mentioned like five (laughs) already. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to do what I do. You know, find what works best for you. Find what works best for the way that you work and the way that you write code. But generally, I do use both command line debugging and debugging in an IDE pretty regularly. I kind of mix and match. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like um, it's a a nice diffusing statement for those people that want to get charged up. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) so again kind of a meta thing um i mentioned already like you know you're maybe using debugging in some other languages as far as when you got to python was that something you were already looking for or was it something that you sort of learned along the way no it took me a few years to figure out and i i wish i could remember how i got into debuggers but it was just a light bulb moment for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I've, I've had a lot of those. <laughs> I guess I have my own sort of hook uh, it with the stick kind of mentality as far as uh, my learning of Python. And I, I keep looking at things and I, maybe they're more like, I want to use a stick to turn over this rock. Um, yes. <laughs> kind yes. of thing. <laughs> and, and be a couple of feet away uh, before I decide if I want to dive into that hole or, yeah. or uh, find out what's hiding underneath it. And I've done a lot of that on the show. It's been kind of been fun. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And I I kind of, maybe this is a a little too vast, but where do you feel like you learned this information or where could you suggest people, you know, continue learning things like this? I I really don't know. I've tried to remember, uh, you know, where I first came across it or when I first started implementing it into my workflow. And I really just... I don't remember, but in terms of resources, uh, there's there's a lot out there in terms of blog posts. I don't, I haven't seen too many other talks that focus on debuggers. There was one at PyCascades this past year that unfortunately I was not able to catch. Hmm. I don't remember the speaker's name, but we can put it in the show notes. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Okay, cool. And uh, do you have other, you know, as you're, Continuing along your path and, and learning more about Python, are there other um, places or techniques that you find useful in, in learning? Oh, what do you mean? Well, like, are there places that you go or are you like a book reader? Or do you check out news sites? Do you, um, you know, subscribe to <laughs> services that have like trainings and things like that? Or is there other ways that you keep your saw sharp? Yeah, there's there's a few resources. Uh, one, I think Real Python is pretty good. Not <laughs> not to plug, but <laughs> sure. Yeah, there there are a bunch of really good articles on Real Python, and my teammate Anthony Shaw is actually currently writing one about advanced VS Code topics, and I've gotten to proofread it. Oh, you got to. Okay, cool. I did. <laughs> nice. I did. It's really good. I learned a few new things while I was reading it, so. Definitely excited for that to be published. Yeah, and then if you're just looking for little exercises to get better at Python, Trey Hunter has something called Python Morsels, where he emails you exercises, and that's a really wonderful resource. Nice. So maybe we could talk a little bit about CircuitPython. Sure. (laughs) I didn't know this at the time. I, I kind of stumbled on it today, actually, that you gave the closing keynote 
for the 2019 PyCon event. I did. And it was kind of a neat little reveal that hiding in everybody's bag was a, a an actual CircuitPython <laughs> board um, that people could try out the things that you you demonstrated during your talk. That, that turned out really neat. Yeah. Funny enough, that wasn't, it, it wasn't a talk that was originally slated. Oh, okay. Yeah, somebody dropped out and PyCon was looking for a new keynote. And I was like, well, I have the perfect topic and everyone's <laughs> going to be able to walk away with this Circuit Playground in their bag and start using it right away. And so, yeah, that that panned out really well. That's cool. And one of the things I, I liked about your talk, but also the the Circuit Playground, is really the the friendliness of... You know, wiring it up. Um, having yes done a few projects recently where I've had to solder header pins to <laughs> um, <laughs> everything, and I was uh, complaining to you earlier about uh, lead-free solder and trying to work with it and so forth. Which um, I don't know. I, I think I might be beyond the scope of the podcast, but I uh, <laughs> I've I've solved some of my struggles. But um, the fact that you can just use alligator clips or other types of clips to wire it up really does make it friendly in that kind of unique way. I mean, it's not, it does, there's nothing preventing you from soldering to it, but the, the idea is that you can kind of use it as this uh, really experimentation tool because it has so many of the, the fundamental components that you might be interested in, you know, like the NeoPixels and switches and buttons and um, accelerometer. And I, I'm, I'm probably missing other fun stuff that's on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I have... Burned myself with a soldering iron more times than I can count. <laughs> yeah, thankfully nothing serious. <laughs> you share share scars. <laughs> <laughs> but when I first got into electronics, I was very lucky that uh, I was telling somebody I was like, "Wow, you know, I really want to get into this," but I didn't want to buy a bunch of expensive things for a hobby that I wasn't sure I would like, and I didn't know how to solder, and I at the time didn't know any good resources for learning how. Somebody was very, very kind and gave me a box of hand-me-downs, including uh, an old Weller iron. And they sat down with me for 15 minutes and showed me how to solder. And I was like, okay, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was so scared of this. You know, I thought it was this complicated thing that I would never figure out. And in reality, it is kind of simple, but not everyone has access to the tools. Yeah cost prohibitive and you do need some in-person instruction i think to really pick it up and so it, it's not accessible to a lot of people and so the circuit playground express is a pretty cheap way of figuring out you know hey am, am i into this is this a hobby that i want to continue with or is it something that's just gonna sit in my drawer collecting dust and you don't need to invest in a lot of equipment to do that yeah i like their boards that they have thought out a lot of things that that other electronic microcontroller type boards make you have to do a little bit of the extra lifting on. Like there's like resistors in there already to um, pull the circuit up or pull it down so that mm-hmm. it, it, you know it can connect straight to ground or, or you you know it, it can kind of behave in ways so that the wiring is like okay you're just going to use you know these alligator clips to a switch or a button. Or you know some kind of external thing. Um, it, they've they've been really thoughtful of uh, about the the structure of it. And that seems to go across like a lot of Adafruit's devices, which is cool. Yeah, and and you know then there's kind of a next level of some people might not be able to get their hands on a Circuit Playground Express. Right. You know, twenty five dollars is a lot of money in other countries. Adafruit doesn't ship everywhere, and so there are there are a few good resources for learning about hardware, learning about IoT stuff, where you don't need anything at all. It's just all virtualized. So there's a group of interns at Microsoft who put together a VS Code plugin called the Device Simulator Express that emulates the Circuit Playground Express, the Adafruit Clue board, and the Microbit. So you get a visual representation of the board, and then you can write Circuit Python code and see things light up. You can interactively press buttons and trigger different code paths. Wow, cool. Yeah, I think this is so amazing because you don't need to have a Circuit Playground Express to learn about some of these concepts. Right, or just something, yeah, to kind of play around with it and 
you know, while you're kind of waiting, <laughs> if, if that's something that you can invest in or if, you know, right. You know, I, I know that in the UK, the, the micro bit was like a, a thing that was given to a lot of the, uh, I don't even know what grade of school children. I think um, it was 12 year olds. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, I know they were promoting programming back in the day with their BBC computer um, mm-hmm. also. And so like, you know, those kind of com- campaigns I think are amazing. So yeah, um, that's cool. But I have a code version. That's neat. <laughs> yeah. You can, and, and I mean, to me, the most impressive thing that they've implemented is the Adafruit clue board, which kind of copies the form factor of the micro bit, but it has a screen and you can draw graphics onto the virtual screen in VS Code, <laughs> which is just wild. I have no idea how they did it. I'm very, very impressed. That's cool. Uh, yeah. And there is one other project I wanted to shout out that launched pretty recently. Some of my teammates worked on it, and it's called IoT for Beginners. Okay. And it covers a whole ton of IoT concepts beginning to end. You learn to build a... IoT-enabled farm, which is pretty Mm. fun. And you can get some devices and follow along, or they have this completely virtualized program where you can just mock up these devices and mock up inputs. And so you don't actually need any hardware to go through the course. And it's on GitHub. It's really awesome. There's amazing illustrations as well. And so if folks are interested in IoT, I recommend checking that out. It's like a, the IoT Farmville, <laughs> kind of advancing into actual electronics and hardware. That's really cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to kind of work deeper and and go further with CircuitPython. I, I'm going to reach out to Scott Shawcroft, and I really would like to talk to him about k- kind of some of the steps in beginning and kind of like kind of explain some of the things because there are a, a, a few hurdles that are not that are hard to be expressed if you're just kind of watching something you know or, or reading just the you know the the instructions and, and yeah. i feel like there's some, a couple hurdles and so I'm, I'm also looking at making a video course uh, or maybe a few we'll see um but all this talk is maybe think maybe i should start with the 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 playground and and do like a really simple one on that and then then build on top of with other projects because i think that might be a way to lay the foundation you know like the things like how do you get your bootloader and actually update your circuit python and all that kind of stuff i think might be kind of cool so that could be really fun and scott is just wonderful he's a lovely lovely human being he's exceptionally nice and then if you if folks are interested in more intermediate circuit python topics. I did give a remote talk at this past PyCon US that touches on some of them or at least some ideas of where to go next. Unfortunately, I only had 25 minutes, so I had to keep it pretty going pretty fast, but I I, I thought it was a fun talk to give. Oh, I enjoyed it. I watched it. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. You, you uh, uh, showed me this tool kind of indirectly, this thing called Fritzing. Yes, and and I'm going to be using that in some of my instructions. I, I did find lots of the boards, and Adafruit does publish the the which is it's a tool that kind of shows you the the wiring and the layout of the board, so you could kind of mock up like okay, the switch goes to here and, and so forth. And so something that may be hard to do via video always, you know, yes, <laughs> or in the in their case, you know, printing it out um, in like a you know, web page, what have you. So yeah, so I have these weekly questions. The first one is. What is something that you're excited about in the world of Python? Yeah, so I actually have this book right next to me. Al Swigert has a new book called The Big Book of Small Python Projects. It is 81 easy practice programs, and No Starch Press uh, sent me a copy to review, so thank you so much for that. And it is just a wonderful wonderful book. Al is an amazing person and a great author. He also does a lot of streaming on Twitch. And so if you are looking for a a new book to help you learn Python, this is definitely it. And it's really my style of book. It's hands-on. It's yeah. it's there's a lot of uh, you know poke it with a stick programming. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about this. I've gotten to uh, look through it a little bit and. Uh, I'm really pretty happy with what I've seen so far. 
it was really fun having him on the show. I guess it was around November or December to talk about his last book. So he's been busy. Um, it's very <laughs> cool to see this new book come out. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> it's just yeah. a factory. Yeah. A factory of a person. Yeah. So what what is something that you want to learn next? Yeah. So the things that I would like to learn next are, surprisingly enough, not Python related. One that I've gotten to play around with a little bit is Blender 3D modeling. Ah, but you can do Python in there. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can if you're more, more advanced than me. But that's been really fun and it's been an interesting way of doing something a little bit more artistic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have... Uh... A project of mine, I'm not trying to, you know, commit you to something. Um, <laughs> but is there like a, are you looking to mess around with like games or some other kind of place? Or is it just fun for the artistic side of it and creating things? Just fun for fun's sake and, uh, you know, not looking at code. And and unfortunately, I had to put that on pause for a little bit of time. But now I'm kind of back to where I can get into it. And the other thing that I'm excited about learning is woodworking. Oh, and that <laughs> sorry. Been... <laughs> that, that, I started that this year too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, instead of bread making or whatever <laughs> everybody else is doing. <laughs> oh, I tried to make sourdough. It came out disgusting. Oh, okay. It was terrible. <laughs> I did. I did make cupcakes the other day that were delicious. So oh, I guess cool. I, I'm just not a bread maker. Redeemed. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you what do you do with your woodworking? Yeah. So I've been wanting to learn woodworking. I don't have tools. I don't have space. And then of course the pandemic really put a halt to to that. But now there are local places that are reopening socially distanced workshops, and so I'm hoping to sign up for one. Oh, cool. And yeah, I like. Like a makerspace kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of makerspaces in my new area. So I'm hoping to just work with my hands more. Yeah. I there is a, There's one here, um, Pikes Peak Makerspace. Um, I was a member for a while. I, I haven't been back. I, I, I really want to go back. But they inspired me to do a little bit of, you know, I did the wood shop training class. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't done wood shop since high school. And... I had bought, you know, tools to do stuff around the house and, mm-hmm. you know, some mediocre things. And I was always just frustrated by what I was getting out of it. And I, I did buy something that I think is just amazing. Actually, two amazing things from a company called Craig. It's spelled kind of strangely, K-R-E-G, but they make a pocket hole jig. So you can, you know, basically hide where all the screws would be. Cool. And um, I took a, a, a desk, uh, well, it wasn't a desk. It was a workbench mm-hmm. from like Husky or, you know, one of his Home Depot brand kind of things that was an adjustable height with a rent, you know, like a little handle. You kind of, you know, ratchet up. I think I've seen that one sitting outside Home Depot and I'm like, ooh, that looks good. It is a great desk. Yeah. And it's now become a mm-hmm. computer desk <laughs> that's adjustable in height manually. And then I built a bunch of little stand-up things that I can put all like uh, my you know little computer things and mm-hmm. music things like keyboards and stuff. So it added all these holes as like monitor stands, cool, kind of on top of it. And so I you know I wanted to hide all the screw holes and stuff. But I the other thing that I found from them that is amazing is this thing. It's called the uh, like adaptive cutting system, Ooh. and it is so slick. It's like this fold-up table. Um, it makes like perfect clean cuts. It has like a track that it the plunge saw runs on. And those two things, like for like somebody who wants to just do some projects at home and doesn't want to get like, you know, like a lathe and <laughs> all these really advanced things. Yeah. Um, I think those two things um, will make your stuff way more professional at, at kind of a, a starting point. And then they're not crazy expensive. And and I can put them away. You know, I, I can put them away. Yeah. And, and, park a car in the garage um that's awesome <laughs> so anyway those are my two like side things but yeah that's been my my other little everything's expensive you know hobbies so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then um if people are interested in connecting to you other social accounts that you'd want to share yeah so these days i haven't been on social media too much i used to stream on twitch but i haven't done that in a few months so mostly just find me on Twitter and my username is NNJA. It's like ninja without the I. So please follow me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nina, it's been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful chatting with you as well. 
maybe we can have you come back and we could talk some more about CircuitPython and some other developments as we go along here. I am happy to nerd out anytime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks again. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Sentry, helping developers see issues that matter, solve those issues in minutes, and learn insights to keep their applications running at peak performance. You can learn more at sentry.io slash 4FOR slash Python, or you can click the link in the show notes. I want to thank Nina Zakarenko for coming on the show again. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.